and it started in Little League. So, uh, you know, you had two teams go to the Little League World Series, and we won the state three years in a row. So it's a, it's a pretty special place. Brownsburg, Indiana, the small town where Drew Storen began chasing his baseball dream, one that led to him throwing heat in the big leagues. And Drew Storen trying to get the final outs. Nine pitches, three strikeouts for Storen in the ninth. Pitching that immaculate inning, one of Storen's favorite memories during his nine years playing Major League Baseball. If you build it, he will come. If you build it, he will come. Now, a new field of dreams for Drew Storen, capturing lightning in a bottle in the bourbon business. His journey from Brownsburg Little League to professional baseball to bourbon maker next on the Business and Beyond podcast. Hello and welcome to the Business and Beyond podcast presented by PNC. I'm Gary Dick. Drew Storen knew, he knew once he hung up his baseball cleats, he'd pursue his other passion, collecting bourbon bottles. Drew loved the history and the stories behind those bottles, and he wanted to connect them to his obsession with baseball. And it fit, hand in glove. Drew now using the actual corn from the Field of Dreams baseball movie to produce high-end bourbon across the country. And I am pleased to be joined by Brownsburg native, a major leaguer, now bourbon business mogul, Drew Storen. Drew, great to have you on the podcast. Gary, thank you so much for having me. Uh, I want to talk about uh, your baseball career, certainly in in a moment, but want to get right to what you're doing now, because I think it's fascinating on a number of levels. You have Field of Dreams Whiskey, Field of Dreams Whiskey Company, and you've got a Field of Dreams uh, uh, bourbon product. First of all, how did you, how did this all come about? This is a very it's a unique product. A lot of people are into into bourbon. This has a unique uh, selling proposition. But h- how did you get into this uh, this whole idea? Yeah, so I, I guess it probably started back in college. I was a product design major, so I've always been into uh, you know design and and really just making cool products. And um, you know, fast forward to a couple years into the big leagues, and I started collecting rare bourbons. Um, just fell in love with the idea of buying cool stories. I'm sure I overpaid for a lot of my bottles because they thought (laughs) the story was cool, but I always enjoy showing people my collection and, you know, it goes back to prohibition era. So I was deep in the weeds on that and know like, Hey, this is a really cool bottle that until I tell you the story won't mean anything to you. And to see how people just fall in love with a bottle because of a cool story. You know, I was talking to my buddy that helped track all this stuff down. uh, And I'm, we're on a road trip about five, six years ago. And I was like, Hey, if we were ever going to do something, what should we do? And you know, going back and forth. And that's when we came up with, hey, what what if we took the corn from the Field of Dreams movie site and made it into a whiskey? And yeah. it was kind of a, a cool, fun idea that we just spitballed back and forth. Probably took us two years before we actually Googled it to make sure nobody else did it because we were too scared because um, yeah. we yeah. loved it so much. And um, when we saw there wasn't an opening, I was still playing. But that's when I knew in order to stop playing baseball, I needed to have an answer to uh, kind of quick pivot. And at the end of my career, I started kicking this around more. I'm like, you know, I think, I think this is what I want to do. And uh, I called my best friend and teammate for a long time, Tyler Clifford, told him I was done playing. And he goes, all right, you got to do the whiskey thing then. And if it takes me cutting you a check to do it, 
I'll do it. And I said, all right, let's, let's see what we got. I said, if anything, we'll do, look, let's do nine barrels to start. I don't know anything about the business. And if anything, we can just say it was like a distillery trip. You know, we're not going to be the guys that go in and think we own the world because we have a cute right. idea. But I go, if I learn about the business, then we'll go for it. And now we have close to 2000 barrels down and, you know, I've, yeah. So it's been quite the journey and I've been very lucky to have a bunch of people, industry people that were already in my network that I didn't really know. And, um, you know, got to learn a lot from all of them. Yeah. Talk about that. Uh, I guess the call you made uh, to Field of Dreams, because was, had anyone expressed interest in doing something like this uh, before to them of getting, buying the corn from them for a whiskey product? Yeah, I think there's, there have been a few people that are approached them, but, you know, there's a um, certain level of gatekeeping too, you know, and that's something that I take a lot of pride in is, is telling the story authentically, you know, and adding depth to it. So, you know, there hasn't been, there wasn't anybody big that ever knocked on the door and said, hey, we should do this. And I was, you know, very fortunate to get in touch with Andy Ray, the farmer that has the lease on the land and told him, you know, about my background and, you know, here's what I want to do. And, you know, he told me he took that corn into town and sold it like other corn. I said, all right, let's see what we can do. And uh, it's been great. He's a, he's a good friend of mine and uh, it's it's been so much fun. Well, talk about the acceptance I've seen on social media, long lines uh, you know, extending out of liquor stores here in central Indiana and in and, and other places. So the uh, uh, the, the uh, reaction, consumer reaction, it seems to be pretty good. It's been unbelievable. You know, it was something that I I didn't mentally prepare for because I was too too caught up in making sure we got it, got it on a shelf. So, you know, when we did the first event um, in Brownsburg and I, you know, showed up an hour early to make sure the bottles were there and there was a line, I was, I was blown away and, you know, still gives me chills. Like it just, it's so cool. Cause it's, you know, years of work and all the late nights and all that, you know, and to see that those weren't just my friends in line. So I was really yeah. happy to sell to somebody that wasn't my friend, you know, and it's really neat because you have people that are drawn in because of the movie or because of Indiana or because of baseball that we hit all these different things. And and that's, and even from an ag side, I think from an ag side, we're able to tell the farmer's story. You know, that's what, yeah. what's really cool too, um, that we, we just have a five spoke wheel of marketing. You talk about the process, the sleepless nights. Walk me through that a little bit and that, and that process, because starting a business, launching it, getting it off the ground is no easy task. What was that experience, the business side of things like for you? I, I pretty much just broke it down, you know, try to piece by piece. I, you know, one of the, I talked to an old college teammate uh, who has started a, a fund with an old Diageo guy. So I talked to him and I said, all right, let's let's put a honeymoon scenario together. If you were to start something, what do I need to pay attention to? And so just kind of got the rough and like, what what way should I attack? And obviously they tell you distribution's the name of the game. And so then luckily through my network, knew some people in distribution. So I learned a lot about that. And then, you know, learned more about the actual bourbon making process. I was I was good at the collecting and consuming portion of the program. And then just, you know, then we kind of did a plan of attack with my buddy, Andy Keller and Tyler Clippard. We just would have meetings and talk, okay, here's, what are we going to do? What stories are we going to tell? And uh, yeah, just a lot of dry erase board, mind map stuff. But yeah, it's been, it's been great. We do all our, our meetings are uh, nine o'clock at night because then mm -hmm. once the kids go down, we, right. we do our office hours. So that goes into pretty late, but we're used to the baseball schedule, so we figure we might as well stay on it. Yeah, yeah. You mentioned uh, the kids. You have you have three three children now, Drew. Yep. Yep. Three. How's, yeah. how's fatherhood treating you? <laughs> it's a lot of work, but it's a labor <laughs> of love, right? Yeah. I love it. Yeah, you know, we get we got our little girl right before Christmas last year, 
Um, and I have two older boys. So oldest is uh, getting into T-ball, working into real dad's pitch now. So yeah. uh, he's he's loving it. And uh, a lot of good uh, wiffle ball action in our backyard right now. Oh, that's outstanding. Outstanding. Hey, uh, before we get off uh, off the bourbon talk, uh, where can folks uh, get uh, Field of Dreams bourbon, Field of Dreams products? Yeah. So if you go to our website, drinkfieldofdreams.com, we'll have a list of retailers where deliveries have been made in Indiana and Iowa. Um, and then also through our website now, you can actually buy it to ship. Good. So you got e- an e-commerce commerce yeah, site? e-commerce yeah. option that we can ship to 40 states. And so you can go on there. Uh, we launched on Wednesday and sold out in under two minutes. So wow. we had to kind of scramble to work to reload that as quick as possible because we, uh, us nor our distribution partner did not anticipate that kind of uh, reaction. So we're, we're trying to make sure to get those bottles reloaded for people so they have an opportunity to get it. That's so great. You've got a yeah. tiger by the tail, I think. What about how about markets? Because I know you're here in, in central Indiana. And I think you said Iowa. What what future markets are you are you looking at now? Yeah, we you know, we look at where, you know, the the nostalgia of baseball is strongest, right? So you gotta think, you know, for me, especially in this first bottle release, it's about getting in the most brand loyal hands. I say our our canned cocktail is kind of the t-shirt toss you see between innings that like Hey, this is cool. Like, who doesn't like a free T-shirt? Here's, you know, here's a great day drink that it's fun to have at the golf course. And then we want our bottle to be the home run ball, the fan catching the home run, jumping up and down. Because once that happens, everybody knows, like, I want that experience, right? And so, if we can get that with our bottles, then we have a fan on our side already. And you know, when you're talking, you know, we're kind of handcuffed by a limited production, so it's important to get it in the in the right hands of the people that get it the most. Yeah. And so that's uh, that's where you know we obviously look at Chicago. You think of a St. Louis, of course, and then um, you look at DC with with Clip and I having a majority of our career um, out there and having our little duo. You know, we want to go out there and touch that market because, uh, you know, like I said, it's about connecting with the baseball fans, and uh, you know, like I said, it's it's all about people who get it. Yeah, yeah, that's great, Drew. I've had uh, a lot of fun watching your career from a very early age. Uh, of course, I've uh, been good friends with your dad. Worked with him many years ago at Channel Six, and. Uh, Mark, uh, a very accomplished uh, media personality, not just here in here in Indiana, but uh, but nationally as well. And Drew, uh, Drew Mark, and um, Pam are just uh, are super people. What do you remember about growing up in Indiana, those early days? Because sports, I know you played with and against my oldest son, were very important, obviously. Yeah, it was great. I I'm so grateful to have the experiences I did with Dad, and glad that Dad. Uh, wasn't afraid to, you know, maybe bend some rules to have me come tag along um, because I learned so much about what it could be if you put the work in and, you know, just to be around it, you know, like Mm -hmm. to think about now as a dad to see how far I had to go to make it to the big leagues. It's unbelievable. Right. And, and as a kid, whether it was playing horse with Reggie before games or, you know, any of that to play in the big leagues, to understand the amount of work and support it took from both parents, like absolutely incredible. And I think that's the number one thing that he taught balance too, you know, and like the ability to have to attack a problem a day at a time, you know, that was the thing he would come back from the station. Right. And be like, all right, well, what's one thing you did today to get better? You know, that was it. And that's still the number one piece of advice I tell kids. And that's like the way I took on this company, right? Like you can't build a company overnight. And so the more that I can just rinse and repeat the same attack that I had to baseball going a day at a time, like here's a checklist. Instead of working on my changeup today, I'm going to make sure and send this distribution email out. Right. And so 
I think for me, it was great because it wasn't a job. And, you know, it, it was something that I, I learned to not be numb to it, you know, like just be overwhelmed once I did have the opportunity yeah. to be around it. So that's that's something I, I can't be more grateful for. Yeah. What what do you remember? Some of those, but you mentioned playing horse with Reggie Miller, but uh, your dad was uh, one of the, you used to call him the hardest working man in broadcasting because he put he put in the work, put in the hours. But here, here locally, you know, he obviously was exposed to all kinds of sports situations that I think he he you know brought you along and exposed you to that. What do you remember about that? What uh, any any gr- good stories? Oh man, <laughs> probably uh, lots. I remember I was lucky enough to go on the Pacers team plane, um, so it was going to Chicago. It was the first time I was introduced to probably some gambling on a flight, uh, which. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I wasn't shell shocked when I got to Bigley's on that, uh, but no, I would say you know to be able, to, I got to do the breakdown in the tunnel before the game. Yeah, I mean, I, I would say the coolest thing, I, the the bullpen story I was told, guys, was when Reggie Miller came to my birthday party. Um, oh, like, wow. that's, like that's a pretty Hall of Fame story there. That like at the time, obviously I thought it was cool, but now I just know how absurd it was. Yeah. So <laughs> I would say that's my that's probably my number one go to right there. Yeah. What what any takeaways as you observed professional athletes uh, or or elite or high level athletes as, as a kid? Any takeaways that, that, that you think you you utilized uh, when you became a professional? I would say the biggest thing was just why, when I would bat boy when the expos were around. Yeah. I, I would just watch guys in their routine because um, especially the last time I did, it, I was like 13, 14 years old. So I was able to see how everybody kind of went about it differently. Yeah. And then, you know, and that's when I really started, you know, that's the other thing I would say the biggest thing that dad taught me was the ability to ask questions and not be, you know, he forced me to talk to people as a kid, which, you know, you see kids get shy. So I was never afraid to ask questions when I was a bad boy. So I would pick, uh, you know, the bullpen coach's brain or whatever it was and, and just learn. And that's the way that when I got one of my first big league camp, right. I was months out of college and I'm playing with 10 year vets. Well, I asked them everything because what's the point of me learning it when I can fast track it. And right. again, forward to the whiskey business. It's exactly yeah. the same. Thing, yeah. Right? Yeah. You, that's a, that's a great story. What uh, you had great success in high school with the Brownsburg, you won state championship, right? At Brownsburg. Yep. What was that experience like? Lance Lynn, Lance Lynn was on that team with you, right? Yeah. Yeah. So he would, uh, he was our ace and then I would play first and it would, we would just switch every other game. And, uh, and the amount of home runs that we hit, it was unbelievable. That's one of the best games I've ever seen. Yeah. It's, it's pretty crazy to think about that, you know, not one time we had a bad day and and let one slip to go undefeated. And I just remember how, you know, massive Lance is the same size hitting, hitting homers that I've never seen go that far still to this day. Right. Um, but you know, I think the cool part about that, it was just a, a continuation of the little league success and the way that that brought Brownsburg together, um, and really put it, identify it as a baseball town, you know, obviously mm-hmm. with that, have plenty of other athletes now that have done great things, but you know, it was really cool because at the time other high school teams didn't really have fan sections. We did, you know, like, yeah. you know, like everybody came and that was a thing to do, you know, and, and that's just something that, you know, when you're playing for that higher purpose, like that's, that's really cool. It, it's not a me game. It's, it's a we gamer. Right. And so that's, that's really neat, especially when you see how much it means, you know, to people from Brownsburg. Yeah. You uh, went to Stanford. What was the recruiting process? Like, would, did you think of any other schools to, uh, to attend, to study and play baseball? Yeah. So uh, my main filter was if they had a product design or industrial design 
major. So if they didn't, I, w- I wasn't going to consider it. Um, so luckily there were some good baseball schools that had it. Um, but I also had to make sure that, you know, before Stanford could give me an offer, I had to get in normally. So I had some safety, you know, some really good schools in case I didn't get in, you know, like I really like Georgia tech. Uh, I went all went to Auburn, uh, Clemson, and then USC. So I had some really awesome options that I never could, never would have dreamed of having. But when Stanford told me I got in, I was, I knew that that was, that was the fit for me. Yeah. Hey, I, I got to ask you before you can you talk about majoring in product design. Is that a is that a a natural progression for, again from your dad, who I've known him all these years, and I didn't know how talented he is in terms of craftsmanship and making things, woodworking, and just some unbelievable designs and and things. Is, is you t- take after your dad in that re- regard? I think it's it's that, and my mom. I'm as a graphic designer. So that's you know, right. I, that's right. Of course she was so a graphic I, designer channel six. Yeah. So I kind of get the double whammy there. And, and the nice thing was, you know, dad would come home and I would play catch with him and hit and all that. And then when he was gone, I would go up to mom's office and I had my own table. So I would draw and do all of this stuff. So I've always just had that, that itch to do it. And yeah. And obviously both of them are in talent, incredibly talented. Yes. So it, come by it honestly. That's neat. Hey, what was the Stanford experience like? Because, I, you know, Stanford, uh, to me, you know, is one of those unique schools where the academic bar is set very high. The the, the academic rigor is is substantial. And uh, certainly in baseball, uh, w- when you were there and, and from time to time in basketball, football, and they compete uh, at the highest levels when it comes to, to athletics. What was that experience like? Uh, extremely humbling. Uh, <laughs> into my freshman dorm because... You go in and I, I wasn't afraid to kind of be digging myself a little bit, right? Like <laughs> baseball scholarship guy, like, okay. And I walked in and I go, I am in way over my skis. Like these guys are way smarter than me. And like, you know, I had a kid in my freshman dorm essentially set up a Netflix server in 08. Really? Like, and so you just have these like stories of people and, you know, you don't matter. Like as extraordinary as I might've been at baseball at that time, it was nothing compared to what, you know, these guys are doing, you know, it's, it's pretty for me and I still stay in touch with the guys. Um, and that's what's special because everybody's wired differently, but like, it, it's a small school. There's only 6,000 undergrads. So, you know, it's a big high school essentially. So yeah. it's special. And like I said, I think that was the number one thing was the humbling side of, of like, okay, maybe, maybe I do have a lot of learning to do here. That's neat. Well, hey, we're going to talk uh, about uh, uh, life after Stanford. Major League Baseball came calling uh, at Stanford in the form of a top 10 draft pick. We'll talk life in the major leagues and a lot more when the Business and Beyond podcast returns. At PNC Bank, we're committed to making a difference in the lives of our customers and communities by helping them move forward financially. As a Main Street Bank, we try to do right by our customers with every encounter. Our local teams offer personalized financial advice to help guide you in making the best decision. We're proud to be part of your community. PNC Bank. See how we can make a difference for you at PNC.com. Copyright 2022, the PNC Financial Services Group, Bank. All rights reserved. Welcome back to the Business and Beyond podcast presented by PNC. My guest this week is Drew Storen, 
Brownsburg native, uh, former major leaguer, now a uh, a bourbon business guy. Built a uh, what appears to be an incredible brand, uh, a launch, a launching Field of Dreams whiskey, Field of Dreams bourbon, uh, selling in a big way here in Indiana and many other markets uh, as well. Hey, D- Drew, you were drafted by the Yankees, right, out of high school in the thirty fourth round. Did you did you think about jumping to the majors at that point, or you 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 were on a path you wanted to go to college? Yeah, so uh, the Yankees ended up picking me, but I we talked to some other teams early on in the draft that um, kind of they made competitive runs, but that if I was in charge, I probably would have done it, but in a very short-minded mindset. So that's where Dad uh, taught me the long game yeah. and the importance of keeping that in mind. And um, you know, I I think that worked out for the best because for me to go uh, to have the opportunity to play in Omaha was is the closest thing I think to the big leagues. So yeah. uh, you know, I. I knew that the minor league lifestyle wasn't uh, the most glamorous thing in the world. So I, I wanted to kind of hedge my bet. So then that way I never had to really play baseball as a job. Yeah. Yeah. So you were the 10th pick uh, in the 2009 draft by the Washington Nationals. What do you remember about that experience and how did it work? Did you, I assume you you uh, knew you were going to get get picked. Did you get a call? What, what was uh, what was that process like? Yeah. So uh Luckily, I I got picked when I did because mom and dad had a bunch of people over because I I have been kind of a Brady Quinn moment there. So I'm glad I quit. <laughs> right. Let's get that out of the way. Uh, but yeah, so my agent called and said, you know, hey, if this guy's off the board, the Nationals might take you. That yeah. was all I had. So I saw like, okay, that guy came off the board, then that ensured that guy coming off and then but i still didn't know so i found out just like anybody else and then so when bud seeley got up there i was like it was weird it was the biggest flood of emotions like i'll bet yeah talk about that because i can't imagine uh you you know what goes through your mind uh as you say a a flood of emotions i mean you think about uh you, you know probably all the way back to playing catch with your dad to little league and all the work it took to get to that point yeah i i feel like you know, it's just one of those moments. It's so rare when it's like, you know, your life just got completely changed. Right. Like immediately. And and like I said, it's a culmination of all those long hours, long road trips, all the work to just a true reward. You know, that's, I think that's the beauty of sports and, you know, baseball and stuff like that, where you're just clearly rewarded. You are picked, you know, where business side, you don't always have w's every day right like yeah. you don't have like to have that where it's like here you go you're awarded for this here's this incredible opportunity you better make the most of it you know yeah. so it was like i just remember i just kind of went like wow like it yeah. just you know it, like you said there's very few things that can kind of just essentially pause you and yeah. uh you know it's, it was extremely special to have everybody there um, to celebrate. And yeah. like I said, glad, I'm glad it happened. So it wasn't an awkward goodbye. Yeah, it's good. What, what about uh, your first uh, minor league as- assignment? Where did you, uh, where did you go? Went to Hagerstown, Maryland. Okay. And so it was, uh, it was nice because my college roommate was actually on the team. So he's still one of my best friends this day, but uh, so it was nice to have somebody built in Yeah, and so we had a host family and uh, yeah, it was, it was, it was pretty special, but again, it was another humbling experience for me because my first outing, you know, I, I figured I was in the pack 10 at the time. These guys are an a ball, like I'm this guy. And uh-huh. so I go, I go ball one and just, I will reach back, throw a fastball by whoever this guy is, Travis Darno, who's managed to have a pretty good career. And uh-huh. he hit it about 
580 dead center <laughs> and my my best my buddy roommates doing the radar gun behind the net just laughing hysterically at me and i just <laughs> i gave it a smile and i go yeah these guys are professionals yeah okay. you yeah. know but it was so great and uh you know that's part of part of the fun Talk about life in the minor leagues. You didn't have to experience uh, it nearly as long as most most players do. But what what is life in the in minor league baseball like? Yeah, my uh, hopefully none of my old teammates hear me talk about this because they'll <laughs> say you have no right to talk about this stuff. But yeah, it's 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 amazing the guys that you know have really stuck it out, man. Like yeah. when you see the stories that the guys that grind and grind and get that shot, like. I mean, that's, that's teary eyed stuff every time, because it's like that, the, like, I only had a couple really long bus trips and I would, I got a pool raft and I inflated it and put it on the floor and slept on it. So like, and that's your sleep for the night, you know, like there's, uh, you're, there's usually at the time there was an inverse relationship with how nice the stadium was to what your team hotel was. So (laughs) nice, nicer team hotel. I'll put that loosely. Yeah, the state was tough, right? So, and vice versa. So, you guys builds character, to say the least. Yeah, yeah. What do you remember about getting called up? What was that that like when you uh, you got that call and you were going out to the big club? Yeah, I would say it was kind of another one of those draft day kind of feelings. You know, like it's something that uh, you always dream of. And what would I do in that situation? And, And you know, they pitched me early in that game. I remember, and. You know, I I came in like the fifth and I was closing. I'm like, that's weird. And I only got one out. And then they're like, you're done. And I'm like, I wasn't happy. And they're like, you know, just go in there and talk to the talk to you know manager about it. And then he's like, you're going up. I'm like, oh, like finally I get to make that call, you know, like because that's that's the first thought, right? Like I get to call mom and dad and be like, Yeah, we did it. So yeah. like, you know, it's that's that's so cool. And you know, that first day there and and it was great that it was in St. Louis too. Like that's just storybook because that's one of the places I used to bat boy. And, oh wow, yeah. And it was, yeah, it was pretty neat. Your first full year uh in the big leagues uh drew 2011. You had how many sa- you had you had over 40 saves, right? 43 saves, yeah. Wow. That's that's uh that that's impressive stuff. What was that first full year? like for you uh in major league baseball and to achieve that success that early in your career it was it was a blast because we had such a good bullpen um we you know the the thing is it's the the only reason i had so many saves is because i was only throwing one one inning because i had really good setup guys so clipper being one of them but you know we just had it it was a six inning game and and i was able to learn the routine and just going, okay, this is what I need to do every day. And it's rinse and repeat, right? And if the only time I had nerves was if I didn't prepare correctly, you know? Mm-hmm. And, you know, you you learn to just kind of listen to your body. And, you know, again, that's that's where a veteran guy like Clippard and whoever would help with taking care of your body and and making sure that, yeah, you're it's not going to feel great. But, you know, the days, and I probably like golf, right? The days it does feel good. It never works out well. So yeah, it's right in that grind, embracing the grind. So I think that was the number one thing. And, you know, just just go attack and lose lose being you. How about the, the mental aspect? I mean, uh, you know, a reliever. I mean, you look at, you know, quarterbacks with incomplete passes or receivers, you know, dropping ball, you know, having a short memory from a mental standpoint. I mean, that's a being a reliever closer uh, in your case. That's 
that's a tough job. I mean, to come in and, uh, you know, put the fire out uh, in tough situations. Were there any special things you did mentally to prepare yourself, you prepare yourself, but also deal with what happened, whether it be positive or negative? Yeah, I I always just had to try to simplify things. Um, You know, for me, I... I would tend to overcomplicate it and assume that the hitter up there is trying to play Bobby Fisher chess with me. But in reality, it's more like Cracker Barrel checkers, you know, like <laughs> those guys, because it's late in the game. And like, you know, those guys aren't really preparing for a closer like they are a starter where they need to worry about like what you threw them two weeks ago. You know, it's like, you know, essentially if I simplified it to go, if I could throw a fastball down and away, I could get three outs. And was that true? No, but it was just a nice, safe thing for me to attack and go, this is all you have to do. You don't need to go out and do anything extraordinary. This is why you're here. You know, if I just kept reminding myself and it's the old, uh, the Hoosiers mentality, right? Yeah. You know, if I got it, I have to win two of the first three pitches with every hitter and I'll be successful. Yeah. I want to take you back to probably what was a, a tough uh, a, a time, a low point of your career. And I bring it up because of the way you dealt with it. And and that was in game five of the divisional series. Was it 2011 against the Cardinals? 2012. 2012. Mm-hmm. You came in in a tough situation. The Nationals had the lead. You got two outs. And I was watching the game, and I thought you were get, getting completely squeezed by the umpire. I mean, it was unbelievable. And I'm a Cardinal fan, I've got to admit. <laughs> but I am like, what the heck? Well, anyway, the Cardinals end up winning that game. So very, very tough loss. But I know I remember seeing, and I have read since then, that you, the way you dealt with that was so impressive in terms of answering every questions, the question the media had. And, and uh, you know, after that tough, tough loss, what do you remember about that and, and, and dealing with that in what I thought was such a class way? Thank you. Yeah. I was, I just remember after the game going, oh, man, this is one of the situations, huh? Like, <laughs> Rough. You know, you have so much going on and, you know, I just remember, you know, going back to dad telling me like, the sooner you face the music, the sooner it goes away, you know? And and within that too, I was always a big believer, rain or shine, you needed to talk um, because I, for me, like, I, I don't want, I don't, I didn't like fair weather teammates. Yeah. And that was for me, my job was to show up every day and you should not know whether I blew the save or got the save last night. Um, and so, and on top of that, I want to be in control of the dialogue, you know, like you know, a writer, Sure, they know what they're talking about, but they were they're not out there, right? There's yeah. there's so much more that that's going through their head or our heads, you know, whatever it is that like I might as well get my, you know, my quote in there and say this is actually what was going on. And like, yeah, it didn't work. Like if you're playing high stakes roulette every night, yeah, like that's what closing is. Like it's that's it. There's no, there's rarely an in-between. And and if you're gonna be doing that, like and getting there, be there for the parades, you better be there for the storms too, you know? Yeah, yeah. Can you pick a high point? Uh, I mean, there I'm sure there are several in your career. What was the what was the uh, maybe the best day of your uh, pro career? I would say, from a like personal and team standpoint, I came in and closed the postseason clinching game for the first time. You know, in the Nationals franchise, right? And I was yeah. facing two, three, four of the Dodgers. So that was like Hanley. Kemp, you know, like just yeah. murderers row, row, right? Yeah, and people, and and you know, the stadium was packed, and so to go from, you know, the year before when we lost a hundred games, you know, to that, mm-hmm. it was like so the full culmination, right? Because I've always paralleled the Nationals with the Colts when they came here. That yeah. 
you know, and I would say, you know, Strasburg was the Peyton, right? And then, you know, you add in Harper, which, you know, insert Reggie or Marvin or whoever, right? Like, yeah. So that's, we put DC baseball, we weren't the secondary flavor anymore. And so that was kind of cool to see that, all that hard work and see how everything kind of came together. And then I, I think from just one of the cooler things that I've, I'm proud of is when I threw my immaculate inning uh, with the Reds, I didn't, I probably had some pretty diluted stuff compared to what I had in early in my career, but yeah. I got to throw it to my high school teammate, Tucker Barnhart. I'm pretty sure that's never happened before to have high school battery get an immaculate inning. So I would say that's one of my favorite moments right there. Describe for those listening, Drew, what an immaculate inning is. So it's uh, nine pitches, three strikeouts. So just nine straight strikes. And uh, I, I'm i proud of mine, too, because I didn't change the ball. I didn't have a foul tip. It was the same ball. All oh, the way through. yeah. Wow. So <laughs> it's all. But, you know, for me, like an immaculate inning to a bullpen guy is like our perfect game because we, yeah. you know, so that's yeah. always just been our thing that we always sit in the bullpen. And I remember the first time we were talked about in the big leagues, I was a pitch away that night and I, I missed it. And I was yeah. like, oh, so it was always the looming thing that I'm like, man, if I always get it. And that, and since he, I got the first two strikeouts, I go, I can't mess this one up. Yeah. Yeah. You were traded from the nationals to, you went to Toronto, right? Yep. Yeah. What you know? Talk about that. Uh, those next number of, of of years. I know Toronto. You were you mentioned Cincinnati. Uh, where where else? So after I was with Seattle, and then uh, I went from Toronto, Seattle, and then uh, yeah, signed as free agent with Cincy, and then at the end of my uh, 2017 season, I had Tommy John, and then uh, right. went to big camp with the Royals, and then Phillies at the end. Yeah. What was the decision made? I mean, every athlete, you know, comes to that time they got to make a decision. Hey, is it time time to give it up? What was that process like for you? Uh, it was just a lot of self awareness, really. I knew, you know, changes when you have kids, obviously, and and the amount of sacrifice that it takes, you know, for my wife and everybody else. Like that's a lot, and I I know myself that I need to be a thousand percent invested, obsessed with it. And I, I kind of, I wanted to be the first one to read the, read the writing on the wall at the same time. Right. Yeah. I didn't want to be, you know, oh man, like why, why? And I just knew that I really love this idea to run, to do bourbon. And I was like, this, this seems fun. This is something that I can maverick the same way that I did early in my baseball career versus like, okay. Um, yeah, I might get a chance because in reality I would been a living out of a suitcase, probably up and down or who knows in AAA. And, you know, I'm missing out on some of those years that I'm being nostalgic about dad and all the great things that I got to do with him. I would be losing out on that opportunity with my kids because like, you know, I wouldn't be an everyday big leaguer that it'd be like, Hey, come out to the field. It'd be like, Hey, I might be AAA going for a all around that, you know, I, I think I could better spend time and hang out with him a little bit. Yeah. Well, Drew, it's been a real treat to catch up with you. You truly are uh, uh, very proud of all you've accomplished and happy for your success in this new career. And I can't wait to taste some of that uh, Field of Dreams whiskey, too. Congratulations on all your success, Drew, and give my best to your folks and uh, good luck in everything you do. Absolutely, Gary. Thanks so much for having me. All right. And thank you for joining us on this edition of the Business and Beyond podcast presented by PNC. It is a weekly conversation with achievers in business, sports, entertainment, and beyond. And you can hear all 120 plus episodes and get Indiana Business News 24-7. Just go to InsideIndianaBusiness.com. I'm Gary Dick. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time.